I'm so excited about a new series we're starting this morning. You know, as a, as a little kid, I learned a prayer. God is great. You know it? God is good. What comes next? Let's thank him for our food, right? And, uh, you know, even if you grew up in a family that was far from God, a lot of times I think it's just kind of a tradition in America. Maybe you heard that. One good friend of mine said, we grew up in a family really far from God. We just said rub-a-dub-dub things for the grub, you know, but a little bit different thing. I do want to talk to you for the next six weeks about the goodness of God. I think that even if you're here and you believe there's a God at all today, and this is a safe place to ask all of those questions, that you have this inkling that probably if he is God and he is there, he's great. But the question that comes even to those of us who believe with all of our hearts, is he really good? A few weeks ago, uh, did a, a, a funeral that was so hard. We've talked about it a little bit for the little Boy Scout, Elijah, that was killed in his tent at Boy Scout camp as a tree fell on it. Why would something like that happen? How could a good God allow that to happen as I'm doing the funeral and there's hundreds and hundreds of people and Elijah's mom's there on the front row wailing and none of us, unless you've experienced it, there's a few in this room that could say, I know what she felt like, but you could, you could maybe not know it, but you could get a feeling of what that must have been like. Is God really good when stuff like that happens? How do we know he's good? We've talked about that, and even a few weeks ago, we talked about how we can know God is good. You can go back and, and pick up some of those messages, but I want us to talk really for the next six weeks about how the goodness of God affects us. When we realize it, when we don't forget it, or if we choose to believe in the goodness of God, it's going to change us. And when we forget it, what happens? I'm using Psalm 23 because it's really this amazing hope dispenser is really what Psalm 23 is. That's why it's such a famous passage. But I want to look at it in a little bit different light. So pull out your sermon notes with me there in the middle of your worship folder. And I want us to look at what the Bible says. Right at the top of that, Psalm 100, verse 5 says, The Lord is always good. That's what the Bible teaches. He is always loving and kind. And his faithfulness goes on and on to each succeeding generation. I, I read another verse this week. Let me just read it to you. It says, Worship God if you want the best. Because worship opens the doors to all of God's goodness. We just experienced that a little bit, right? When you're, you are making a whole profession that I've seen you do this, God. I know that you can do it again. I know that you're going to open things. You're going to move mountains. You're gonna, and as we do that, it's like a door opens. That's what you are feeling. A door into the goodness of God because it's always there is what the Bible would teach. But we forget it. We don't sense it. We don't know it. And we have to make a, a conscious choice to believe it. There's some things that, um, you know, that happen if, if we don't do that. Let me just ask you a question. What do you think is the worst sin? The worst sin of all. 
you know, and some of you are thinking, well, like maybe mass murder or, I don't know, you, you can come up with all kinds of really horrible, heinous kind of things, but I kind of wonder if the worst sin is not the very first sin, the one that happened even before our ancestors were on this planet. It happened in heaven. The Bible talks about Lucifer was one of the great angels of God and he was ungrateful and he wanted more and he wasn't content and he said, God, I don't believe you're good. You've limited me and I want to be God too. And so he rebelled against God and the Bible says that a third of the angels were thrown out of heaven because they followed after him. We see that is the very first sin and I believe that that's, that's, that's true, that it's a, it's a, in God's eyes, that's a tough one, this ingratitude and this unbelief in his goodness. So I want to talk just a few minutes about what happens when I choose not to believe or when I forget, if I'm a believer, uh, uh, about in God's goodness, and, and then I'm going to kind of give you a quick overview of the next six weeks and what we're going to be looking at in Psalms because uh, it's going to get you really excited. You're not going to want to miss any of it. So let's just start there. I've got some blanks for you to fill in so you can kind of follow along. First of all, what happens when I either choose not to believe in God's goodness or I forget that God is good? Number one, I start claiming credit for God's goodness. I start claiming credit for God's goodness. The Bible says this, what do you have that God hasn't given you. And if all you have is from God, why act as though you're so great, as though you accomplished it all on your own? Why would you forget this? Why would you act like that it's all about you? We do it all the time. But we see that God hates that. One day in the book of Acts, King Herod, the same one who was there when Jesus was crucified, he, he was a powerful king, and he must have been a powerful orator. Because one day he stood up, it says in the book of Acts, that he stood up and he spoke before the people, and he gave this powerful speech. And people, they, they just said, this is the voice of a God and not a man. And Herod, he had forgotten that everything that he had came from God, and so he just claimed all that for himself. But it says, the Bible says that God in that moment looked down and said, enough is enough, and he struck him dead in that moment. In fact, it said he was eaten alive from the inside out with worms. That's not the way you want to go, right? But so in the very moment he's doing this, all of a sudden it's just like his whole body is eaten up. And we see how much God hates that when we forget. Some of you are going like, well, I don't know what you're talking about, Mark. I mean, I did this. I am a self-made man, a self-made woman. I, I, I did this with my own hands. But what the Bible's saying is, who gave you your hands? I came up with this business plan all by myself. My brilliance, who gave you your mind? Who gave you all of the... See, the grace of God, the goodness of God is the fact that we're here at all, that this, every next breath is out of the goodness of God. And sometimes we forget he is great. He is 
good and all that we have. The Bible says every single good gift comes from God. Everything that you can think of in your life that's good comes from God. It's interesting to me because the Bible says that a society, as it decays, there's some things that happen. And, and here's, here's some of the things that, that it says in Romans chapter 1. Let me just read you. It says, they know that God exists, but they do not give him credit for who he is and what he's done. And they're ungrateful. It's interesting that it always, there's so many times in the Bible it's listing all of these things that are causing a society to fall or a list of sins and right in the middle be ingratitude or ungrateful. That's a big deal to God. They're ungrateful. Their thinking, because they're ungrateful, becomes confused. Their hearts fill up with darkness and they think they're wise when in reality they have become fools. And you start looking, uh, even at modern culture and you start seeing some of these things and that seems so foolish that doesn't make sense and that's what's beginning to happen this ingratitude second timothy in chapter 3 verse 2 it says this as god begins to wrap it all up as the end of time approaches people are going to be this way self-absorbed do you know anybody that's self-absorbed around you seems like the world you know it's we take our selfie absorbed, right? And, and it's just like, it, it's, it's becoming, it's even in our tech. Money hungry, self-promoting, arrogant, profane, rebellious, ungrateful. There it is in that long list. It says, and they'll have no respect for what is sacred. Do you see that in our culture? So the first thing that, that happens when I deny the goodness of God or Forget the goodness of God is I start claiming credit for what actually is God's domain and what he has done and how each breath comes from him. But a second thing happens. Are you ready? I stop asking God for help. You see, when you lose faith or you forget that God is good, you're not going to ask him for help. There's a, there's a problem and you forget how eager God is to help you he is eager to help you 20 times in the New Testament the Bible says God wants to help us in our need in fact Jesus said this in Luke 11 13 he says if you as imperfect parents know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him some of you are going like but I've been asking I've been asking, I've been asking and, and, and asking, but see, remember, he's a good father. I always wanted to be a, a good father. I think I was a fairly good father in a lot of areas, but I wasn't one of those overly strict fathers. You know, in fact, um, Sarah's here, my daughter, Ashley, uh, my other daughter might be watching. She lives in Thailand now as a missionary. Um, but when my little girls would want something, they just kind of had me wrapped around their finger, honestly. I mean, it would be like, it's time for lunch. Can we have some ice cream, Daddy? You know? And uh, if Laura wasn't around, because she was the one that always was sensible, right? Then I would somehow find, a, you know, no, you have to, please, 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 you know? Okay, just like half of an ice cream sandwich before, you know? So I would give in, right? And... Uh, 
was that the best for them? Probably not. God is a perfect father. So sometimes you're asking him for something and he's saying, not yet. I have some things I'm working in you. I have some things I'm doing in you. And and sometimes some of us this morning have thought that that means that he's saying no. Or he's, he's not for us. Or he's not good. Happens a lot. I have a friend I was just talking to that I'm close to that is going through a divorce. And one of the things that I told her, I said, my dream for you is that you will take time. That you won't jump into another relationship. But that you will take the next year, maybe two years, two years, you know. And just really learn to stand on your own two feet under God. Be a really strong divorce woman that's standing on your own two feet and strong for God and keep getting the counseling that you're getting because she's having all these breakthroughs and it's like that's my dream for you that's what I I want for you and then God is going to at just the right time bring that guy that he knows that he's hopefully doing the same thing with and it'll but that's not what we do most of the time is it in fact even when I give that counsel, most of the time it's like we get impatient, you know, God, okay, I give up on God, so I'm just going to swipe right, you know, and it's like, right? And then what happens? Yeah, I know, and then you're going through that again. Then you, yeah, it's just a never-ending swipe. But here's the thing, God's got something, if we can wait, the Bible says we're enlarged in the waiting. It's the picture uh, of of a pregnant woman you know as she waits for the baby to be born she's enlarged right some of you that are pregnant right now you're going ah, in Houston summer terrible right but you're enlarged he's making more he's bringing he's going to do a miracle a new life a new you a new birth it's it's something that he's doing that he's working in you but we we, we lose patience the Bible says that he's ready to help us. He's going to help us. And he's going to do it at just the, the right time. In fact, it says in Hebrews 4, let us come boldly to the throne of our good and gracious God. We will receive mercy and find grace to help when we need it. God's goodness to you. It's not, it's not based on your goodness. It's, it's based on his goodness. Listen to what David the great king said in Psalm 69. He said, answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love. Some of you are saying, well, he's not going to be good to me until I can get up to this level of goodness. And and so, because you've been on this performance-based treadmill all your life from the time you were born. Maybe your parents, you know, put you on that. And it was like, perform, perform, perform. If you want me to love you, you're going to have to perform. God's not, quit doing that. That's not God. God loves you out of his goodness. Well, there's a third thing that happens. Are you ready? When we forget or we stop believing in the goodness of God, I stop trusting God in difficult times. And this is a big one. This is when I've seen a lot of people drop off. The Bible says, protect me, God, because I trust in you. You are my Lord, and every good thing I have comes from you. Romans chapter 5 says, we can have joy even in our troubles because we know that these troubles are good for us, producing patience character hope even in the bad times you know not everything that happens in your life is good the bible doesn't say that 
says everything that happens that is good comes from God. But not everything that happens is good. We live in a fallen, broken world. When God came to our very first ancestors, we see it in the book of Genesis. He said, this planet, I give it to you. Have dominion. What does that mean? You rule it. You're going to rule this planet. When God says something like that, he means it. He doesn't step over us. You want to know why there's bad things going on? You want to know why it's because our very first forefathers fell on their face in sin and all of us have been doing the same thing. In fact, there's this giant snowball of all of this that's coming down through the human race. The question really is not why do bad things happen? The question is, why don't bad things happen every single moment of every single day? Why isn't every moment a hell? Because of what we've done as the human race. If you looked at all the sin and all of the stuff that's balled up down through the years, this should be a hell on earth right now. And in some places it is. But your life has some sweet moments in it. And every one of those sweet moments is because God's grace, he still steps in and loves us. In the middle of it, he still steps in and shows us mercy, goodness, all of these things. Another thing, number four, if I forget the goodness of God, I give in to discouragement and despair. Is that where you are this morning? David said, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Instead, I thought, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He said, if I would have forgotten how good God is... And I wouldn't have had hope that, that I'm going to see his goodness. I would have given up. I would have despaired. But I know he's good. It doesn't feel like it right now. But I know it. And so I'm saying to my soul, soul, wait. Wait. Wait for the Lord. He, he's going to come through. He's going to do this. If you're fighting depression, if you're fighting discouragement, if you're fighting doubt this morning... If you're fighting despair, I want to tell you, do two things. First of all, I want you to get a little journal, and every day I want you to write down at least five good things that God put in your life, either from the day before or even that day. You're going to be amazed that it's going to be hard. Just stop at five every day, but every day list five. You can list the same five every day if you want to, but I know you're going to have more and more, and it begins to change your perspective. So I'm going to tell you, if you're struggling with discouragement, despair, start writing down the blessings of God on your life. And you're going to be amazed how that turns things around. And then the second thing, don't miss the next six weeks here. Because like I said, this is going to be a hope dispensary. You know, you, if someone says, hey, let's go fishing on Sunday, you, you say, man, I can't. I got I to gotta go, I gotta go to my hope dealer, Right? I'll be your hope dealer. <laughs> Don't miss this, all right? Because this is going to be something that God's got for you over these next weeks, all right? Hope is really just anticipating God's goodness. So let me kind of overview what's coming up. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Because of that, I shall not want or I lack nothing. He's going to meet me at all my worry points. He's going to teach me contentment. We're going to talk about what that looks like. Contentment is a big thing missing today. 
He's going to also do whatever it takes to teach you to relax. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Have you ever gotten that before? He makes me, makes me. Some of you, you're saying, I don't know what's going on with my health right now. He's making you lie down in green pastures. Doesn't feel very green right now. He knows what he's doing. Why did I lose my job? He makes me lie down. He's working some things if you'll allow him to do it. Another thing, he restores my soul. He replenishes my strength when I'm empty. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his own name's sake. When I'm confused, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. He's going to show me that. He will walk with me in the shadow lands. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you're with me. You, God, you're with me. C.S. Lewis called this life the shadow lands because he said the real life is not here and now. There's more. There's eternity. There's something bigger and more. When he was writing the Chronicles of Narnia, the very last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, he says... Uh, he says that the night is over, the dream is done, the morning has begun, and they're running into all that Aslan, who represents Jesus, has for them. That's, I think, what David was saying. It's the shadow. Donald Gray Barnhouse was the pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for many years, years ago. And he lost his wife, his kids were small. They were coming home from the funeral and the kids were just broken. And uh, he was trying to think of some words just to try to explain some of what was in his heart. And he said this giant moving van went past the, the it was moving truck really, went past the car and just overshadowed it. And all of a sudden it was dark for a second. It was so big. It blocked out the sun. And, and every, all the kids looked up. They noticed it. And Barnhouse said, he said to his children, he says, kids... Would you rather get run over by the, a moving truck like that or the shadow of a moving truck? Like we just got run over and they go, oh, the shadow. And he said, I need you to know, kids, that Jesus on the cross, he took that full in the chest. He took being run over by death full on for us. And now all we ever feel, even this grief that we feel now, it's just the shadow of it. It's just a shadow. Mom's still alive. As soon as she closed her eyes, Jesus scooped her up. And she's there with him. And she's going to be with him. And we're going to see her again. And it's just a moment. It's like falling asleep at grandma's house. And, and, and I put you in the back seat and take you. You don't even remember. All of a sudden, you wake up at home in your own bed. You're going, oh, I'm home. How did that happen? It's a shadow. It's just a little shadow of what death was like before Jesus took us into his arms and so I, I think that that's it's so true and it's what God's trying to teach us and he's going to show us we're going to talk a lot about the shadow lands we're going to talk a lot about what that means another thing he's going to protect me when I'm insecure your rod and your staff they comfort me that's discipline but how does that we're going to talk, it's going to, you're going to find this really interesting, how God's discipline, you see, God is not into 
like punishment. He's into discipline for his kids. And, and if you say, well, God's never disciplined me, you might not be one of his kids. <laughs> you know, I don't discipline your kids. You know, hey, kid, quit running around the church. You know, I'm not going to do that to your kid. You're going to go like, why is the pastor doing that to my kid? No, are you one of his kids? Then he's going to, he's going to discipline you. But there's something about bringing boundaries and security to you as he does it. Another thing, he'll publicly show favor on my life. We're talking a lot about favor. One of the things that's been amazing, I felt God's favor so many times in my life. And just, just it's, it's the most amazing thing to walk in God's favor. And I want that for you. And the psalmist is going to give us some insights in how to get there. And how to do that. He'll be good to me no matter what happens. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, he says. And then lastly, he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, what Psalm 23 does, it tells us if it gets to the very worst of the worst, of the worst, of the worst. And it can get there when you're wailing on the front row at your baby's funeral. I've still got some hope for you. I still want to give you something that's going to change that for you. Jesus, on the last night of his life, he's telling the disciples some things, and they are broken he says Peter I know you've been the leader kind of this little ragtag group but you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows no no Jesus tell me it's not so one of you is going to give me a kiss on the cheek and betray me over to crucifixion oh no Jesus tell me it's not so all of you are going to scatter and leave me alone and I think even as Jesus said it, he probably felt more alone than he had ever felt in his life because he's talking about what's about to happen in this, this intense cup of all of our sin that's going to come up on him and the disciples are arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. They still haven't quite got it all. And they, they're self-absorbed. They can't quite. And then even when he's telling them this is what's going to happen, they're just thinking about themselves. We're going to fail? I mean, the dream is dying before their eyes just a week before they had marched into Jerusalem and the crowds had hailed Jesus as the king and I'm sure the disciples were going like <laughs> time baby and now Jesus is saying wait I'm gonna die I'm gonna be crucified you're gonna deny me you're gonna betray me all of you are gonna scatter they're distressed they're upset and then he says this, let me just read it. Because every time he said, I'm going away, they would get scared. We're going to be alone. We've trusted you and we've walked with you and we've given our life completely to you. And we're going to be alone. And he says this in John chapter 14, verse 2. Let me read it from the Phillips translation. He says, you must not let yourself be distressed. You must hold on to your faith 
in God and to your faith in me. There are many rooms in my father's house. If there were not, wouldn't I have told you? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it's true that I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's just as true that I'm going to come back and receive you. And welcome you into my own home so that you can be where I am. And you know the way where I'm going. And Philip goes, Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know the way. And Jesus said, Philip, I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. If you want to come to God, you come to me. Now, a lot of us have done that. We've stepped into this relationship, this journey full out, but we're in the middle of distress. But listen, did you hear what he said? He said, you believe in God, one version puts it. Believe in me. And the word really there is trust. You trust, trust me. That's the hardest thing when things are so bad, isn't it? To trust. How am I going to trust you now? How am I going to trust you in this? God, how am I going to trust you? And he's going, trust me. And I love this because this has always spoken to me because people a lot of times say, well, you know, Jesus, he just kind of, he knew everything. He was God, but he just kind of went along with the beliefs of the day and what people thought. And so all of this stuff, we don't really know. He didn't say that. He said, if it weren't all real, if it weren't all true, wouldn't I have told you? I am truth. I always speak truth. If there's nothing after this, if this life is it and it's over, you lie in the grave, there's nothing. Wouldn't I have told you? I would have told you. But this is the way it is. I am preparing a place. Heaven, heaven's not going to be like this weird place we go. It's going to be like, all of a sudden it's like, finally I'm home. Finally. You ever gone on a, a, a trip and it's like, my own bed. I love my bed. I love my Tempur-Pedic, you know? And, and that's, that's what he's talking about. My father's house, there are many rooms. You don't need a map of heaven. It's a big house, all right? And it's so much more. But he's preparing your room. He knows what you like. You might even have a little Astros memorabilia, you know? I mean, he knows, he knows, what's, he knows what you want and what's there. Let me just tell you something. What I want you to get this morning is that even in the midst of the most horrible thing that can happen, if you will trust his heart, you will make it 